Good, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive reader. Today is Thursday, April 27, 2017, and today we're continuing on in the big book, and we are currently on page 32, uh, starting with the first paragraph. We're going to read through two paragraphs today. First paragraph starts, though there is no way of proving it, and we're going to read through two paragraphs. Uh, today's readers, so we have um, we have Tenzin P on the 12 steps. We have Julie S on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text are Rachel W, Lauren S, and Katie G. The uh, reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, April 26, the 7 a.m. meeting. It's 78. Excuse me, that's not right. 9875 for the 7 a.m. meeting. 9875. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, it's 9878. That's 9878. Okay, the OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm going to now ask my friend Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Tenzin, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Tenzin P., I'm grateful to be here. These are the steps we took, which were suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, over compulsive overeating, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tenzin. Okay, let me now ask um, Julie to read the 12 traditions. Hi, everybody. Can I be heard? You can. All right. Good morning. This is Julie S. from Florida. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should remain autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Julie. Okay, let me tell you how our meeting um, is supposed to work. Anyway, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read. And anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive readers only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no, no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So to share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're going we're gonna to resume our study of the, the big book. And we are currently on page 32, the first paragraph. It starts, though there is no way of proving it. And Rachel's going to read through two paragraphs. Uh, so, good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. Um, I'm on page 32. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. 
But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatsoever, whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers in a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. So, um, hi, my name is Rachel Delview, and I'm really grateful that I read this today. Um, first of all, I'm kind of marveling that 30 seems so young. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, the point here is um, that, you know, there's just so much here. I'm thinking about the times that, you know, I thought I would stop. I thought I could stop myself. And, um, you know, you know, the thing that's really pulling out at me this sentence is that, the long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. I mean, for anyone, I mean, I'm going to speak for myself, but for any time I think that I have this disease licked, you know, even for a month, a year, you know, two years, I, I, I could think back to this section here and, and, and see that it, it really is, um, if I'm doing it his way, it's just not going to work. And what I'm seeing kind of is, a, is an interesting step one and two, because he has an unmanageability going on. And he has a higher power, which is business, you know, and, um, and himself, you know, and that's what's keeping him, him, him abstinent somehow. Like he's keeping him not drinking. But the question is, who was he all those years? Like how many affairs did he have? Like what other drugs did he pick up? You know, did he, you know, what was going on in his life? Okay, a successful career, but it really doesn't mean anything, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the contrast and I'm, I'm remembering also what was what is what is happening here is the denial it's the denial of me because there there's you know this this step one shows me like there's there's a purpose in me continually picking up food i don't want to feel me i don't want to feel what it's like to be me i don't want to get in touch with that powerlessness that's required in step one and as a child abuse survivor it makes a lot of sense because there's a piece of me in my brain that I kind of don't want to go back to. I was powerless. I, there's, there was trauma in my life. I really would rather not revisit the idea of being powerless, you know. But, but what, what, what's really wrong here, and, and thank God for today, I have, I have a new program, you know, a new way of looking at this that I don't look at the, it the way he does, that I understand that my, my higher power has to be greater and is today greater than anything going on in my life greater than my past, my present, and my future, which I really don't have to worry about as long as I keep aligning myself into this process. So 
when I'm, when I'm trusting in this program and my higher power, I, it was so funny. I looked it up online last night. I remember my higher power was a ding dong. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but like I looked it up. It was born in 1967. Also ding dongs were created in 1967. I was also born in that year. I'm thinking, Oh, that was my higher power when I was a kid. I remember. And I, and, and today um, I have a, a new life, a new, a new understanding, a new experience every single day, a brand new experience with a higher power that I don't have to worry what's going to happen. And I'll just end with this to say, like, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen in a, in a year from now or, or, or what. I just have to know, am I living with integrity? Am I leaning into these steps every single day? Is my higher power greater than anything I'm going through? And, and then I lean into my fellowship. And with that, I can, I can sit and I can really feel what it's like to be me, and I can be grateful for everything in this program, including all of you. Thanks a lot for allowing me to share, and I pass. Uh, here's another ding-dong leading the meeting this morning. Okay, Rachel, thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. On your marks. Yes, Ready, get set, go. Who's, who's that? Lady D. Lady D. S-A-R. Matt M. Lady M. Who? Stacey. Lady. Reva P. Uh, Matt M. Oh, All right. Matt, you go the first six times because I heard you six times. <laughs> okay, well, I got Matt. I heard Leia. I heard Tina, Nessa, Kim. I think I heard Kim. Reva. Who did I miss? Stacey. Janice. Stacey, Craig. We're going to stick with this one here. Why don't we, Katie, why don't we go with that? All right, so here's the lineup, but we're going to stick with this one. We got Matt, Leah, Tina, Nessa, Kim, Reva, Stacy, Janice, Craig, Katie. We're going to hit every single person on this line. Okay, let's start with that. Matt M., you're up. Hi, Larry. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, visionaries. This is Matt M., compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Yeah, this story, I really enjoy the stories they talk about more about as you know, like the Jay Walker, the man, this, and this man, the man of 30. This story is a cautionary tale uh, uh, to the wise that I have to really watch how I treat my disease and how I really think about my disease. It's a disease that's never going to go away. It's something that I have to keep with. It's going to be with me until the day I die, but I'd rather die and reco- recover than, uh, than in the food. You know, it's not easy. The food has been part of my life my entire life, and it's something that's difficult you know, to put down and let go because it's, it's all, it's been like my best friend. It's been like my lover. It's been everything to me. It, I gave, I gave up for, uh, relationships, free, sweet friendships, my family, my jobs, my health. So it's, it's, it's like letting go of a, of a trusted friend, but I know it's not a friend. It's not, it's, it's a rapacious creditor as it says in the 12 and 12, uh, the AA 12 and 12. And, um, I feel bad for this guy because this guy really, like I said, every means every means of uh, getting rid of this and it's disposal with money, but money, money, money meant nothing. Money was an object, you know. And uh, he really, he really um, died quickly because the disease picked up right where it left off when he was uh, from when he was thirty, and his body got older and older, and his body couldn't handle drinking that much liquor as he did when he was thirty. So his body gave out, couldn't take it. So four years—that's not a long time. He died really quickly. And um, I don't want to be one of those people to believe me. I, I put myself just like the alcohol in the hospital time and time again with staph infections and and uh, MRSA. I, got, I contracted MRSA in the hospital. The way the things I put my body through, it's like in the Bill story, it says, you know, my, my body was an amazing thing. Mine endured that for years. 
and it finally started to give out on me. I'm only 36 years old. I've been in the hospital almost 10 times with staph infections that almost killed me because I, I, uh, my legs were so swell, swelling up with the profuse swelling of edema in my legs. So, you know, that, that tells you how far I took myself down the line, almost to the, almost to the graveyard. But, uh, just for today, I'm grateful that I don't have to do that anymore, and I could be, I could be, I can get recovered one day at a time, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Matt. Um, I think I heard Leah, not Leah M. Um, is it Leah S. or another Leah? No, Larry, it was Leah D. Leah D. Hey, Leah D. Thank you so much. Um, yes, ding dongs are my higher power, and I like them frozen. And thank you for sharing that. And then he fell victim to the belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Um, I'm a long-term survivor of these rooms, 42 years, and up until 17 months ago, I didn't understand about recovery. I never heard I had an allergy of the body or an obsession of the mind, but I'll have to let that part go. But the fact that I thought three years, four years, five years, and I'd sit around and watch people go to a restaurant and order a real meal. What is the big deal? Scrambled eggs with toast? We're talking toast here, kids. Nothing big. And I really wanted to be like other people. I wanted to sit down and be like everybody else and eat and walk away and be done and be finished. And I can't tell you how many times my mind tried that over and over and over again. And when I had the awareness of what it was, it was never comfortable. You know, it's funny. As kids, I was never allowed to eat certain foods. I had the diet police my whole life. And the most exciting times when we went to the country and we'd stop at the Red Apple West and we could order a full real breakfast and nobody stopped me. That's part of the problem because nobody stopped me. I was able to choose and then I felt normal, quote unquote. But that never lasted. That didn't last 20 minutes. That didn't last a half hour. I went back over and over and over again because my mental twist is so severe that there's no knowledge. And the problem is nobody taught me. I didn't have a good guide. I didn't have people teaching. I didn't have a gentle mother that explained it calmly. I had to figure this all out myself with you in the rooms. And ding-dongs are my higher power. And I went back time after time after time after time after time. And for today, I have recovery. For today, I have willingness. For today, I have a God squad and people who will help me not die in four years because of the severity and the allergy of this disease and how it works. And I was always puzzled, and more than anything else, I was always humiliated, because that's who I was. Thank you for letting me share, and I'm glad to be here today. Thanks, Leah. So we have Tina followed by Nessa. Hey, Tina, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thanks for your service, Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Awesome, great stuff. Uh, you know, I used to think that I, di I really didn't relate to this because that was not my experience. But what I, what I, what I see and what I learned from today is the progression of the illness. And, um, you know, I, I know that uh, wherever I stop and when I pick up from, you know, today I've got, you know, one day at a time, several years of back-to-back uh, -back abstinence. And, and if I pick up, it's going to be way worse than it was when I, when I quit. Um, you know, I'm grateful for that. But in the midst, you know, of the disease, I'm not thinking about any of that. You know, I am controlled by my mind. And, you know, I don't know that I could have stopped while there was still yet time because, you know, my eating 
uh, started very young. And I can remember being like five years old and just totally obsessed about food, you know, and, and there was this power, which was the food, which was my God at the time that, that I couldn't fight against. And, um, you know, what I do know today is that I had to get a new uh, higher power, and I'm grateful that one day at a time I cultivate that relationship so that it gets big enough to, to overcome any obstacle in my life. And, um, you know, I, uh, I am so grateful today that I don't have to go to the, to the depths of the disease that others have. You know, um, I can always be grateful that you know, somebody was worse than I am. Not that I wasn't bad, but somebody was worse. And 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 then I'll and, and I'll end with this. You know, I my my uh, disease took all all kind of um, uh, avenues. You know, I was came in as a compulsive eater, and then became anorexic when I went to treatment and figured out how to do some things that I didn't have to eat with, and and they worked for a while. But what happened was when I started putting these foods in my body, there set off that allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind that was so strong. And so the only answer for me today is entire abstinence and, and a power greater than myself that restores me to sanity, to have a spiritual awakening. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Tina. Okay, we have Nessa, and I think there was a Kim, not our Jersey girl, but a different Kim. Nessa, good morning. Hi, good morning. Vision for you. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. So um, this story, um, I love it. It teaches me two things. One of was just shared just previously. The fact that this disease is progressive, and it's not only progressive when I'm practicing actively uh, in the disease, but even while I'm abstinent and recovered, you know, I know that just like the man of 30, if I were to pick up my binge foods now, I would not pick them up where I left off five and a half years ago. I would pick them up where I would have been if I had never, ever, ever stopped. So, you know, the, the disease is progressive and like it's said in the rooms in, in many places um, that the disease is in the background doing push-ups. So I know that if I were to pick this up, it would come back with a, with a, with a vengeance and there would be 400 pounds out there waiting for me, even though I never got to that kind of way. I know it's out there for me. And the second thing that it teaches me is that, you know, there can be no lurking um, notion, no matter how long I've been abstinent from my binge foods, that I will ever, ever, ever be immune to them, you know. And this is this is the mental obsession at work. This is no longer the allergy because, you know, this guy was, was, was abstinent sober for, for, you know, many years. So this is the uh, the mental obsession that, that leads us to believe all these lies that, well, you know, you haven't had cheesecake for five years or five months or five weeks or five days, five hours, five minutes, five seconds. You can, you can handle it now. Now you know what it takes. Now you know what you need to do um, in order to, uh, to be thin, you know. And, and it's very easy to, um, to give in. It's very easy to give in. And, it, it, you know, this, this, this internal lies just so, sounds so convincing. So, so how do I protect myself? Um, and it's very simple. Entire abstinence makes sure that Hey, Nessa, we, we lost you there. If you can 
a star one. Okay. Well, so sorry, Nessa, we lost you there. Um, okay, we move on to Kim, followed by Reva. Kim? All right, no Kim. See, Kim G, I, I, you're in my head here. Okay, so we got Reva followed by Stacy. Reva, good morning. Good morning. It's Reva P, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. This whole chapter for me, as I now have been educated um, and understand it, is about people who were once sober. Um, maybe they even started working the steps but they pick up again. And it explains to me, you know, what, what happens? How can somebody, you know, start off doing fantastic, he's sober such a long time, and then he picks up. Um, and in this paragraph, um, what it shows me is what it's like to be abstinent without the steps. So he's bone dry, which to me can mean abstinent only, or dry drunk. And then what happens? he falls victim to a belief. So this chapter is explaining the false beliefs, the lies that come before picking up after being sober, after doing a little bit of step work. Um, and I just think it's so brilliant. Um, so it's explaining to me the, the necessity to do the step work and have the psychic change because abstinent only might work, but it will not work, you know, permanently. Um, and I'm just, you know, a dry drunk waiting to explode and, and go right back to the food. And I also had a thought, you know, even within program, just because I've done a step 10 turnaround and I've, you know, done some service one day, there's no guarantee that the next day, that's going to carry me over and keep me going. This is a daily reprieve. And I have to do what I have to do every single day. There's no like insurance policy that you know, you're abstinent like this man for 25 years. I've done some step work. Oh, I've gotten to step nine. Ha ha, I'm, you know, I'm, now I'm 10, 11, and 12. Like there's no finish line. It's... Um, certain things I have to do to maintain my health every single day, um, and I have to maintain my spiritual fitness every single day. There's um, no carryover. Um, it's a 24-hour reprieve. So um, not to be surprised when the food starts getting loud or the restless, irritable discontent gets loud, you know, I've got to just keep doing the work. Um, and then I get the benefits, and then I get to live... Um, happy, joyous, and free. With that, I pass. Thanks, Reva. Okay, we have next we have Stacy followed by Janice. Good morning, Stacy. Good morning. This is Stacy, recovering commercial eater in Cleveland. If you wouldn't mind timing me, Larry, that'd be great. Thank you. And there, the last year pretty much said what I wanted to say, but in a very different way, but pretty much said it all. Um, the Obsession of the mind had me, um, through periods of abstinence, had me believe that I would never pick up again. So I, this is before I 
really became a student of the big book and and living what the big book is teaching me and so i would be in meetings and i would feel cocky and uh self-assured i reveled in the accolades of losing weight and I was as crazy as I was when I was at my top weight of 230 pounds. And um, with the help and guidance of folks in this program and in developing higher power that I can truly work with and releasing over 72 pounds at this point, I understand that the slippers for me was me objectifying myself uh, in the mirror. And that was one of the higher powers, um, the comfort that the mirror gave me, the way that the carpet slippers in the bottle uh, gave to this man of 30. And it was astonishing that one of my neighbors many years ago, when I had lost the first 30 pounds years ago, Um, told me that I was, in quotes, melting away. Now, I I don't know about you, but I I don't see a 5'3 woman at 200 pounds melting away. Um, But I reveled in that. And um, though I didn't have all the money at my disposal, what I did do is call treatment center after treatment center over the years, wanting to get this food problem licked. And I'm grateful. I am grateful today that I didn't have the means to go to a treatment center for my food addiction because I'm pretty sure that that I would have not gotten what I have been getting now. And that is a daily study, a daily reprieve, my, my willingness, my desire, my action, my commitment to uh, be in the solution and not in the problem, and I've never known a freedom the way that I do today, and I still have a ways to go. I am absolutely an educational variety learner, and uh, I'm grateful that one day at a time I keep coming back and I keep learning and growing and feeling and aligning myself with a source greater than me and without I pass. Thanks, Stacy. <clears throat> okay, now batting our shortstop from Boston, Janice. <laughs> hey, Janice, good morning. And good How's morning. How's that for to an you? intro? Wow. Yeah. God bless you. Um, the, uh, my name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Yes. Um, around the fifth line, it says, once he started. He had no control, whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. Boy, that, those two sentences, they're so powerful because, you see, I have to get the fact that I have, okay, I can know all about my allergy and my, you know, obsession of the mind. But, you know, I figured, see, the mind is the real problem. My mind was the real problem um, because, you know, I had strong determination. I don't know about you, but, I, you know, they say you're weak-willed. I'm not weak-willed. I'm very strong. When I want something, I go for it. 
And, you know, just a little bit opposite of this man of 30, I was 50, and I decided, geez, I'm eating, eating. I'm going to sell the business. And that way, when I am retired, I will work on myself. You know, I'll have time, and I can go when I want, eat when I want. You know, I, I can, you know, take care of myself. Well, see, that's my thinking. That's where the crux of the problem was for me. You know, there's no immunization shots of my disease. Once I pick up that food that I'm allergic to, the ball starts rolling. The train starts going. Um, I, the, the, my allergy will never go away. I will have this allergy to the day I die. However, my mind can be changed. You know, um, I, I was insane. And it, like somebody says, it's one day at a time. <clears throat> my mind, that's what the steps are for. The steps changes my mind. What, what, what is it about the steps? Well, the power that comes through for me. You know, this is what he, he refused. This man of 30 refused the allergy of the body. He thought, and you know, because he believed a lie. He thought that, you know, long time for me, you know, it was a long time, 25 years. Sometimes when I was first came in the program, I said, well, geez, I'll eat for 25 years and then, you know, see what happens. I mean, crazy, crazy. My mind tells me that I can't, I can't stop when, well, I retire or whatever else is going on, but my body tells me that I can't. <laughs> and it's always going to be that way. I was doomed, you know. Once my experience tells me the phenomenon of craving will always be with me. So I, I have to be convinced. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. Okay, we got Craig followed by KDG. Brother Craig, what's up? Hey, Craig, we can't hear you. Press star one. All right. Can you Here you are. Oh, yeah, I can Okay. Go. I get the wrong button. Craig is a recovered compulsive eater from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, I'm, uh, I appreciate everybody's service. Um, I uh, uh, I relate to this story, this guy's story, the businessman, but the way I relate to it is this, that uh, uh, I had resisted the idea that I was a compulsive eater because I could point to this history of successful diets, that I had gone on this diet and lost all this weight, and I'd gone on that diet and lost all this weight, and I'd been able to diet. Now, somebody that was a compulsive overeater have done that and sustained the, uh, the 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 weight loss down to a certain point and then you know of course it always came back uh, I, I wanted to ignore that um and of course once i looked at it i saw that the highs were always higher and the lows were always higher that the weight got higher each time and the and the and the bottom of the diet got higher each time and and um you know the thing that kind of snapped it over one of the things that snapped it over for me was that i had a similar pattern with alcohol and uh i said i can't be an alcoholic i had uh, you know uh, i i had had a oh i missed my son's birthday one time a terrible story but because i'd been uh, drinking with a brother-in-law and i blacked out 
and and so I didn't drink for six months. And I said, and I, I remember saying to somebody, you know, uh, I, I I can't be an alcoholic. I put the I put the alcohol down for six months, and the and the person said to me, who been an alcoholic knows what when their last drink was. And and I and it's the same. I realized it was the same with food. You know, who but a compulsive overeater. Uh, knows when they put down the food, and knows when they picked it back up, and and knows that uh, that they are going to have to do that cycle over and over again at that infinitum. That 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 was had kind of become life, uh, always on a, a diet or just off of a diet and putting weight back on. And and uh, you know, and then in program, I I kind of picked up the same pattern. I had. Uh, uh, a couple years of abstinence when I came in, uh, lost it. Uh, then I would get abstinent again and and the and the uh, and lose it. And the periods of abstinence got smaller and shorter, and uh, and briefer. And the weight kept going up. And the fact is that I that the thing I share with this man and and with Bill and with Roland Hazard and with. And with the car, the car salesman and the accountant and the jaywalker, that to come is that I had failed to understand my powerlessness, that that I had failed to understand that that I am am, am powerless over food, and that my life is unmanageable. And because I had failed to understand that, I had also failed to reduce my ego enough to allow God to come in and have that. And, and have that spiritual experience, that that spiritual awakening that is promised uh, uh, after step nine, and live in it in steps ten, eleven, and twelve. In other words, uh, I I was still trying to run the show, and uh, and I I'm not capable of running that show. Uh, I'm only capable of surrender. But once I got to surrender, and it took a pretty low bottom for me to get to surrender. Once I got to that to that uh, place where I could completely let go and let God, then God came in and the spiritual experience happens, and uh, uh, I I have a daily reprieve of freedom from food obsession, based on the maintenance of that. And the maintenance of my spiritual condition means I'm living in ten, eleven, and twelve today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Okay, Katie G. How are you? Hey, Larry Kay. I'm great. Good morning, guys. KED, Recovered Compulsive Reader, Anorexic and Bulimic in Boston. Let me start my timer. <clears throat> hey, so great to hear you all. Um, yeah, I relate to this guy so much. And, um, you know, the thing I like to think about is, like, we're all really smart. It is cognitively very challenging to do the things I have done with food and um, my body weight and exercise addiction to like quiet my nerves, you know, like a, as a solution. They were my they were my nerve soothers and and they made me feel better. Um, and how many times did I remain um, dry for time after time after time? And then I fall victim to what? A delusional thought. I'm not denying anything. I'm in delusional thinking, false psychotic belief that my long period of abstinence 
And self-discipline and being a little girl means that KDG can pop out the food, can pop out the laxatives, can pop out the diet, and I am going to control. And so the problem with control is the definition of control means to have power over. And how many times, I've been in the rooms for 15 years, I would identify foods as red lights and then say, oh, you know what, it's been a little bit of a while. Maybe I'm not allergic to it anymore. And here's how. Like gum, can't have gum. No matter how many times I took that gum, can't have it, still powerless over it still sugar, um, you know, and I, I, and it would kick me to the curb each and every time. And, um, you know, this delusional thinking of every means of solving my problem, like, you know, uh, you know, thank you, God, like, I am a, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater or anorexic bulimic just for today, right? And, um, but I can still think, you know, I can still look for human powers in my life to solve my problems. Like, I'm going to find a book to teach me how to get, how to be a successful wife. I'm going to throw all my, you know, all my solutions to solving my problem today. And, and the truth is, is that that's me taking back control. That's me saying, I, I can fix this and I can't. And, and, and for someone like me who has, um, you know, spent my whole life not into action, but into thinking, into figuring it out, it is very painful to surrender to powerlessness and to a power greater than me that restoring me to sanity. But let me tell you, every time I surrender, the deeper I surrender, the more I stay surrendered um, and realize I'm done. I'm, I'm kicked. Like no human power. A, I'm a food I can't, I can't manage in my own life. B, no human power. C, God can and will if he was sought. That is my solution. And no amount of KDG smartness is going to fix me today. And thank you, God, that I can remember that one day at a time with the help of all of you, entire accident, and each step all the time, no matter what. I'm going to keep showing up with all of you guys, and thanks for the privilege of being one of you. With that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Okay, who else would like to share? Melissa C. Amy M. C. Leah M. Harlan G. Okay, let's stop Marzi. there. Uh, and more, uh, let's, we'll see if we get to, uh, as far as to you there. So I have uh, Melissa, Amy, Leah M., some guy from Arizona, and then Maura. So Melissa, good morning. Hi, good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa State, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, I really, I really quite easily with this man because, um, you know, in my early 20s, I decided that I needed to put the food down because um, it was getting in the way of the goals that I had for myself. I had dreams and aspirations, and I saw my weight as the thing that was in the way, and I was intelligent enough to know that my weight was caused by the way that I was eating. So um, I did go to OA for the first time, and um I got a food plan, and I did a tiny portion of the steps, but I really left with a, a food plan, and I had a little bit of knowledge that I better stay away from certain foods, um, and I did, you know, because the desire was strong enough, and um, and the disease had not yet progressed, but um, it was progressing, even though I was able to be abstinent. I put the food down for a period of time, and um, lo and behold, I got the goals, you know, that I wanted. Um, I was able to get. I got 
a job. I got a husband. I got, you know, a home, uh, the beginnings of what to me was life. And, um, and then I fell prey to that belief that, well, if I look normal and I was in a normal-looking body, then I am normal, and maybe I'm making too much of this problem. And, you know, when I picked up something on my honeymoon, I can tell you I remember the beginning of my honeymoon that we went snorkeling and, and some of the little trips we took. And by the end of the honeymoon, I don't remember anything but the buffet. And that was, um, you know, I was right back to where I had been when I met my husband. And, um, and it was years and years and years and years. And I could not, I could not put it down. It, it was surprising that how could it be that I looked normal and I was crazy, you know? And so um, it just reminds me, I, I'm at the greatest danger when I start believing that what I look like on the outside is an indicator of what it is that I have. What I, you know, what I have is an inside thing. This allergy cannot be fixed by physical transformation. Um, the mental obsession can be fixed by a spiritual transformation, but the allergy is permanent, and, um, and, I, and I always need to know that. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, we have Amy followed by Leah. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, everyone who shared. Um, I'm Amy MC from Massachusetts, and I can just so relate to this man this morning, and so many people have already said what I feel, you know. Um, the whole belief here um, that every alcoholic has that long period of sobriety and self-discipline has qualified to drink like other men. I mean, I remember sharing with people, um, not in rooms, kind of about program, right, and talking about putting the food down and, and just, you know, abstaining um, from my foods, uh, my, my allergies, and people responding by saying, oh, well, you know, and maybe after five years you can try that food item again, and, you know, I have the mental obsession, and that thought lingered in my mind, you know, oh, maybe after, maybe after some years I will be able to have sugar again. Maybe after some years, as it was said, I can have gum again, um, you know, but that's not me. That's not, uh, I have a disease and this is never going to go away. I'm never going to be able to eat the sugary foods. I'm never going to be able to have the gum, um, you know, one day at a time, I'm blessed uh, with with program and with, um, you know, the obsession being relieved for the moment, you know, I'm working step one again through, through the big book with a sponsor, and it is amazing to me the journey it's been thus far, even in three weeks. You know, I spoke with somebody yesterday, and I was having a blah day. You know, my pink cloud is going away. This is reality. This is this is my life I'm dealing with, you know. Every day, yes, I want it to be happy, joyous, and free, but I got a stinking, thinking brain, and my disease is ready and waiting to start throwing out those mental obsessions and um, throwing me the curveball, uh, thinking about things that I am powerless over and I need to turn over to God. Um, you know, all these things that I've done to calm my nerves, they don't work anymore. I know they don't work. 
they didn't work then. They were just a moment of relief um, and followed by a longer period of more obsession. Um, so, you know, for today, I'm here. I'm, uh, you know, doing what I need to do, and I'm sharing with all of you and continuing on because, for me, this is the only way. Uh, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. Okay, we have Leah followed by Harlan. Leah, good morning. Thank you very much, Larry. Uh, we believe that early in our drinking careers, you know, that word careers really pops out at me. I mean, my uh, compulsive overeating was a career. It was like a profession. It was occupation, and it started very young. You know, I remember at age four getting dropped off at Tom thumbs nursery school and for some reason you know the table with the egg salad sandwiches was calling to me and while everybody else was playing I couldn't remove myself I remember like it was yesterday I couldn't remove myself from eating over and over and over and over again and that was just the start of this profession this occupation uh with food and then it was an occupation with trying to stop compulsive overeating you know i didn't understand i didn't have appreciation of the exact nature the condition of my illness i also didn't understand that the chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt in those early years until they were much much too hard to be broken i didn't understand the principle that once a a cucumber becomes a pickle, there's no becoming a cucumber again. You can't reverse the brining process. Um, so although it says he made up his mind that until he'd been successful in business and retired, he would not touch another drop, I've stopped thousands of times. I couldn't stay stopped. I didn't understand that sobriety, abstinence, is merely physical and that I suffered from a spiritual malady, which only a spiritual awakening could overcome. Abstinence only for someone like me is like putting on a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. The treatment does not uh, tend to the exact condition. You know, abstinence only for me is like the flame may be doused, but the pilot light remains on. The big book gave me an education of my illness and taught me what step one really meant, the realization that I'm doomed. And I'm not doomed because of the allergy of the body, although that is a very, very bad problem. And it will always be, I will always be wired that way. But I'm doomed because of this mental obsession where I begin to realize that the only solution that will ever work for someone like me is a solution that gets rid of the mental obsession. You know, and that's what restores me to sanity is this 12-step process because it's not my inner strength, it's not my willpower, it's not determination like Man of 30 had, it's not any human creation. None of those is enough for someone like me. I can't restore my sanity on my own. I need the help of a higher power. There's no mental defense for me against that first bite. Uh, the defense has to originate from a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Okay, Harlan, will you wrap us up here? I, I'll try, Larry. Okay, Harlan thanks. G., I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater, and fellow ding-dong in Scottsdale, Arizona. And one of the books that was quite influential in the framing of the big book was a book by Richard Peabody called The Common Sense of Drinking. 
And Richard Peabody preceded AA, preceded the big book by a number of years. And he had some things completely wrong. But one of the things that Richard Peabody and his book impressed upon Bill Wilson and the original 100 was something that is very important for me to remember because it saves my life. Here is what he said that was so true. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And when we see this idea presented to us in the big book of permanent illness, this comes from the common sense of drinking by Peabody. Chapter 3 is about the mental twist. It's about the thinking that precedes the first drink because that is the crux of the problem. It is not a chapter about people who were drunk and couldn't get sober. It is a chapter about people who had successfully put down the liquor and made a decision, although we admit it's injurious, we cannot after time tell the truth from the false, they made a decision to pick something up that had ransacked their lives and pick it up yet again and see if this time the poisonous snake wouldn't bite them. And so when I see this thinking embedded in my, in my brain, I see how many times after dieting down, after periods of sobriety that I picked up the food. Here is what I send us out on today. Once a compulsive overeater, always a compulsive overeater. Whether I am eating or not, I am, will be permanently a compulsive overeater. Thank God for OA. Thank God for Vision for You. Thanks for your service and to Team Thursday for this great meeting. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go. you got two more minutes. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ireland. I know you could probably keep going here. All right. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And so I'm going to ask, uh, hey, Lauren, are you there to read 164? Hi, Larry. Can you hear me? I can, Lauren. Thanks. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.